Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Paving the Way for Progress with Farnoosh Tarabi. As an adult, looking back, this constant back and forth of talking about money, making it really not taboo, helped me feel empowered and prepared to do my job and also manage my money in my own life. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Farnoosh Tarabi, a name which I'm sure is not unknown to many of you. Farnoosh is one of America's leading personal finance authorities, helping her audiences live their richest, happiest lives. In addition to being featured in numerous media outlets and authoring three books, Farnoosh is the host of the wildly successful podcast called So Money. At over 1,000 episodes and 12 million downloads, So Money has emerged as one of the top personal finance podcasts, interviewing big-name leaders and providing insights from Farnoosh herself. But how did she get there? What did conversations about money look like growing up? And what is her hope for the future? Today's episode answers these questions and a whole lot more. Welcome, Farnoosh Tarabi, to today's Money Stories. We're so thrilled to have such an amazing financial mentor rock star with us today. Oh, thank you so much. And congratulations on your podcast. Well, thank you. I, I know that you are such an expert and you have spent and continue to spend so much incredible energy on this phenomenally important topic of personal finance and education. You know, I'm particularly interested in furthering this conversation. And so it's really a thrill to have you because you've talked to literally thousands of people about this topic. And we just really welcome your insights into into our conversation. As much of an as a professional expert as I know you are, Farnoosh, I would love to begin our conversation today on a little bit more of a personal level. When we think about money stories, I know you agree we all have our own money story. And so if you'd be willing to share with us from your personal perspective, when you were growing up, did your parents actually talk to you about personal finance? And if they did, any memories about sort of how they did that? And if they didn't, how did you actually start to learn about money mm-hmm. yourself? I remember Linda asking for an allowance when I was five. And so I think money was always a big part of my upbringing. Conversations about money were definitely happening all the time in the house. And it was very fluent. It wasn't so much of a formal, a formality where we're going to sit you down and talk about credit cards and compound interest and saving money. But my parents were very transparent in their own financial um lives. So I remember my mother, for example, taking me to the department store and showing me how she was paying off her store credit card. I remember my father taking me to the bank and introducing me to his banker. This was in the 80s. So people had, you know, they were on first name basis with their bank folks. And so I liked getting the lollipops. And then, you know, over the years, understanding that this is a place where you go to save your money. And and so that's just those are just a few examples of the conversations, or at least the 
the modeling that I had growing up. And I remember also when I got a little bit older and I was maybe 11 or 12, my father has always worked in the tech industry. And throughout his career, there's been a lot of consolidating and mergers, as you can imagine, with technology and um, the industry evolving. And uh, he would once in a while come home and talk about how his company was laying off employees and that he was concerned. And this was dinner table conversation. And should I take the package? And should I not take the package? And I, you know, I'm grateful for that, that he kind of um, didn't underestimate me and didn't shield those real kind of financial concerns from me. Um, You know, I think that I got a little anxious about it as a kid growing up. But I think also, as an adult, looking back, this, this constant back and forth of talking about money making it really not taboo helped me feel empowered and prepared to do my job and also manage my money in my own life. Absolutely. That your parents were willing to be very vulnerable, really, Mm -hmm. with you. And another thing I I, I just want to pick up on that you said that I find fascinating, uh, especially given your life and, and how you talk with so many people, is you ask for the allowance. And I want to go back to that. Because <laughs> for women, especially, doesn't that strike you as interesting now that yeah. you had the something in there confidence to ask? Yourself? I don't, I guess I just didn't know any, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that it was maybe not quote unquote acceptable or I, um, I think again, what it was, was I had the modeling right. and the when I talk to people like Sally Krawcheck, for example, who is a former Wall Streeter and now runs Elevest, and sure. she's very, uh, you know, she's very proactive about talking about earning your worth, and she talks about how it never, never occurred to her that it wasn't appropriate or that it wasn't okay to ask for more money on the job because she saw all the men doing it. And that was her culture. And so this was my culture. I grew up where my uncle, for example, um, I was five years old. I was in the mall and I was having a bad day because my mother wasn't going to buy me what I wanted her to buy me. And my uncle was visiting and he said, you know, Farnoosh, you can ask for an allowance and that way you'll have your own money and you can use that usually at your own discretion. And I said, what's an allowance? And I, much to my parents' chagrin, they were not prepared to give me an allowance, I think, at that point. But I, I remember getting really excited about that idea of having my own money. Exactly. You know, this was a, a really interesting start for you as a, as a kid. What happened as time went on? What about school? What mm-hmm. about college? Do you feel that path of learning continued mm-hmm. once you were sort of out of the house and becoming, you know, a little bit more independent in other ways? Well, I remember my parents helped me make what ended up being the best financial decision of my my early 20s, where I was about to go to college. And the advice from school and school counselors was take out student loans, go where you want to go, finance it with student loans, don't worry about the price tag. That was that was literally the message we got from school counselors. And it seemed that that was the norm. And I would go home and my parents would say, where are you applying to college? And I would run off these, these list of schools and they'd say, well, how much are those schools? And I'd say, Oh, don't worry about it. There's this thing called student loans. I know, I know, I know it's 40 grand a year or 50 grand a year. 
and my father said, absolutely not. You know, we are not that kind of family. I put that in big air quotes mm. <laughs> where we're going to basically mortgage our lives to send you to school. And now just to take a step back, my father has a PhD and so he's very much a, an academic and yeah. has, has, does not like he was fortunate. He got scholarships. So he was from the camp that you got to find another way to finance your college education, that you shouldn't just assume that student loans necessarily are the way to do it. And he was a big proponent of, you know, going to a state school at first. And then maybe if you wanted to go to graduate school, that's where you invest a little bit more in the higher ed, in the higher degree. And so that was a conversation that honestly was very tough for me to accept at that point because- All my so friends. I want it. Yeah, I, I want. want it. Yeah, I want to go to the brand name school. I've worked really hard. I don't understand. And I, I will say that I wish that we had even had this conversation sooner because I felt like it was an, a very abrupt, rude awakening where I had worked my tail off in high school for the purposes of getting into these elite private schools, and then that kind of was not possible yeah, for me because they said we don't actually have the money. Your bubble was burst. And my bubble was burst. Yeah. Real lesson for, uh, for any of our listeners who are, who are not, maybe not at that point yet with their, with their families, but how to, how to really work up to that. So it doesn't feel so personal. Right. But I will say that, so I went to Penn state university. It was our state school. I was living, we were living in Pennsylvania and I was kicking and screaming all the way there. Why, why I can't believe I'm going here. And I was such a, I was, I was so naive. It ended up being a fantastic experience. I met my husband there. I had such a wonderful time. And then, you know what? I did go to graduate school and I did go to Columbia and I, so it all worked out. And I'm so thankful because unlike so many of my peers who graduated with debt, I was able to, at least for undergraduate, not have debt. I did rack up some debt for graduate school, but then I felt there it was a little bit more of a return. There was a return on the investment there. Right. So Farnoosh, I'm feeling like this is sounding pretty perfect so far. You have these parents who tell you about an allowance, an uncle who's a great mentor. You don't end up with debt after college. Did anything ever get tripped up? Yes, 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 yes. So I would say a couple of, um, a couple of moments. So going back to childhood, my parents fought about money quite a bit. And this was partly because my father made the money and my mother didn't. My mother worked sort of throughout her life, but it was in and out. And so she didn't have this consistent income or savings like my father had for every, for the family. And so uh, they, like a lot of couples had very different philosophies on what, how they should manage their money. And then if she wanted to spend money on herself, it was a whole thing. And so I, again, good or bad, I was privy to a lot Mm -hmm. of these arguments. And so that was, um, that was tough for me. But I think as I got older, what it really taught me was the importance of, especially as a woman, having your own financial independence, regardless of whether you get married, you don't get married, you live with someone that each person in a relationship should have their own financial independence autonomy. And that's something that I practice in my marriage. And I talk about a lot in my you know, in my counseling that, and then I would say also, you know, like a lot of, uh, a lot of kids, I, I did rack up credit card debt 
in college, it was a time period where it was okay for banks to be right on campus marketing directly to the 18 year olds. And now that's not allowed. But I remember really being enticed and going it for the shiny objects, like whether it was a free t-shirt or free pizza or whatever it was to open up the credit card. And then I would I had about four or five thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. Uh, I didn't understand that it would hurt my credit if I didn't pay off the bill every month in full. I thought that just paying the minimum was okay, where I was just you know I was playing by the rules, and so that was not a good idea. <laughs> That's so fascinating because you you had all the lessons. You as you mm-hmm. said, you thought I'm doing just fine. I'm paying my bill. I'm doing what they asked me. But yet that points out a real need. And I'm just curious, did obviously you handled it, you got out of it, you you figured it out. But did that did those experiences motivate you in some way to further your own interests and career mm-hmm. area? Did that have anything to do with your decision? It would seem like a perfect, you know, a perfect line where, okay, Farnoosh has all this background and comfort talking about money. So naturally she's going to become a financial expert author. And that definitely contributed to my decision to take on this career path. But I think that part of the story is also, Linda, that I always wanted to pursue a field where I felt like I was in service uh, in some way, shape, or form. I love helping people. I love, I love the sense of achievement. I, I'm, I'm, my, my love language is achieving, achievement. Like I love to also be of help, of service to people. I also really love storytelling and um, breaking down complex things. I lo- I'm a very analytical person. And so I think that there's a lot of reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. There is obviously this sort of fluency when it comes to personal finance, this lack of trepidation, this like I can, this sense of can do itness, even though I made a host of mistakes. I think that helped me understand and have empathy for everybody who does fall right. into the debt trap. It happens to the best of us. Absolutely. I think you know, I, I was tempted. I was I was a, on my own in college and wanting to get all the, you know, clothes and trips and going out and et cetera. So it, in, in the grand scheme of it, I think I, I did okay. You know, like I didn't have more than far, far $5,000. I, you know, and I paid it off uh, when I started working, but I think why I do what I do is partly my, my culture, my background, what I grew up with. And then it's also my hardwiring of just wanting to, you know, I love to write. I love to help. And so this just seemed like a natural fit. And one other thing I would say is that when I was deciding my major in college, I was a bit confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do initially. I went from political science to like marketing and I was a theater minor. And I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. This is like not not doing me any help. Uh, My father said to me, pick a major where you will be able to get a job. And again, this is my dad, very rational. He's a physicist. He's a scientist. So he's like, you know, uh, A plus B should equal C. So I decided finance because what other degree could really promise that? And I also saw there were very few women in the finance department. Um, And that actually excited me because um, not because I was hoping to date all of the men, but because I thought here's an opportunity to be to stand out. 
right? I looked at my my roommate who was an engineering major, female engineering major, and I saw they would roll out the red carpet for her. They gave her a full ride at the school. They gave her um, all these extra supports because they wanted to attract more women into the into the STEM courses. And so I saw that a little bit with finance as an opportunity to go and sort of, you know, pave the way. Right, exactly. So you've written three books on personal finance. You've been in more media outlets than I can count. You have your incredibly popular podcast called So Money, and obviously you're a financial mentor. You've talked about education and your early exposure to the importance of education. One of the things that I'm curious about and would love to know your thoughts is, do you think that it is it could be helpful uh, and even possible for colleges to offer some sort of personal finance course as a matter of, you know, as a matter of a requirement? Do you think that's possible? And do you think that would be effective? I absolutely think that it would be helpful to have some kind of course around financial literacy. Now, I will say that just having it be a textbook-based course is not going to move the needle. I really think that in order to retain the information, really embrace it, you have to create some sort of program where you it's more pro it's more active whether that's um you know you get a you get a hypothetical paycheck and you have to you know really hands on really hands on work a job earn the money and then you know there's assignments where you have to like f- somehow you know afford all of the things in the real world like actually imagine you've graduated from college you have a, a starting salary and you have to afford all of the things how are you going to budget like that alone is an exercise that we're only doing on the go when we are in the thick of it. And um, at that point, it's much harder to really um, concentrate and and make, you know, healthy decisions because we have a lot of distractions. But in college, I think it's a, it's just, it would help. I don't think it can hurt. I will say though, just something that is like learning definitions and, you know, that I think is going to fall flat and would not be, I don't remember much of what I did in college or what I learned in college, I would say, but I do remember the experiences. I do remember the things that were hands-on. So that's very helpful. And I I really agree with you on the the need to bring this topic alive and real. I'm particularly love to pivot a little bit to women. And one of the things that I'm so passionate about is not only the competence about the skills, but the confidence through life's many decisions and paths to stay with it. And you just sound like you're a person. Somehow that confidence is in there, whether it's the asking for the allowance, it's pursuing finance as a major because you saw a pathway. It's getting those graduates degree. My goodness, it's being an entrepreneur. There's nothing that takes more confidence than that. So do you have any ad- any thoughts or advice about how we can encourage other women on that notion of confidence about this challenging topic? Mm-hmm. I think confidence starts with educating yourself. I know that with anything that I attempt to do, whether it's starting a new program, launching my podcast, um, I do a lot of research. I do the homework. And I learned this from a lot of my mentors growing up that, you know, yes, I'm good on my feet, but having that knowledge base is 90% of your confidence when mm-hmm. you can when you can refer to your knowledge 
and 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 make informed decisions. That's so much of it. And I and so I would just encourage people if they're not feeling confident, maybe it's because they haven't spent enough time with the material or they haven't, you know, really um, given themselves a chance to immerse themselves in whatever it is that they're trying to do. And of course, you're not going to know everything. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound like you have to know everything before you start. And I, I would just say that, especially women, we feel like we have to check off all the boxes exactly. the time before, before we can step in. But I, I will say that there is something to be said about just spending, you know, a little bit of time with the, with whatever it is that, that you want to pursue, whether it's talking to people who have done it, learning from their mistakes, reading a book, watching videos. There's so many resources whatever it is that you're trying to tackle in this case, if it is your finances, you know, there's so many platforms. And if you're not really a, a visual learner, well, there's so many books. There's um, if you love, there's so many podcasts. And so you can go to a lecture series. There's a lot that you can do. And I would just say, know that you're not alone in your sort of feelings about not feeling confident or having all the answers. That's almost everybody. <laughs> right, right. That, and that, there's no magic to it. There's no magic to it. And if people do, like, I, I'm really good at faking it till I make it too, Linda. Like, I'm not confident half the time, but I sort of feel like I'm more committed to, um, I, I'm less worried about, like, being confident on the inside. I'm more interested in progress that's just the word that came to mind as you said it to me. It's it's progress. Wherever we are is where we are. And on this kind of topic, we can find our way out. So Farnoosh, you have, you know, with this and I listen to your podcast regularly and so many helpful conversations there. If there are some listeners who maybe don't have as much experience in having those conversations about money, do you have any Ice, kind of icebreaker question that comes to mind that that you could share with our listeners for the, for them when they want to start a conversation about mm-hmm. money with someone important to them. Sure. Yes. Sure. That's a really good question because um, yeah, it's so hard to just you know discuss money off the bat, and it can depending on who you're talking to, it can come off as well. They can feel unprepared or taken off um, guard. So I would say that. If you believe, and I believe this, I believe that money, when we're talking about money, we're talking about life, that we can um, get into it almost without bringing up the money. You know, we can just, if you, for example, if you want to learn about your partners or someone in your life, you want to learn about their debt. Well, in specific, let's say student loan debt, maybe an icebreaker is, you know, how did you, um, where did you go to college and, 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 you know, how did you go about financing that? And I would definitely follow up immediately with that question with, I did it this way. It's mm-hmm. important to share, give before you receive in any conversation, especially when it comes to money so that that person, especially if they're feeling insecure or not safe to talk about it, you're modeling it for them. You're, you're not you're, judging. You're yeah. Sh- it's showing them that we're here to learn together and grow together. And I want to be as transparent and open with you as, as you want to be with me. And so leading the way by example, but you don't have to start with how much debt do you have, but really right. talk about the experience that may have led to that first and then share your story as well. Very, very helpful. So, so relatable the way you phrase that. And I know you do this uh, regularly on your podcast. So tell us how, how listeners can learn more about your work and tune in. 
Thank you so much. Well, the podcast, I'm so proud of it. It's five years in the running and over a thousand episodes. I would love if if you're looking for, you know, inspiration and candid conversations about money. And also on Fridays, I answer people's money questions. So there's a direct path to getting me to help you. Um, you can go to somoneypodcast.com and you can subscribe everywhere podcasts are available, iTunes, Spotify, etc. And, you know, these days I don't do a whole lot of social media, but I do invest quite a bit on Instagram. And even there, I'm, um, I feel like I'm not very active, but I, that is where I communicate very, very much with my audience. So if you have a question for me, you can direct message me there. And that seems to be what's working best. You know, I'm with you. The days of reading a book about these kinds of topics, you know, it's just hard to do that. But I like a personal connection. And just hearing the way you go about answering the questions, it makes, I know it makes me comfortable. And so I look forward to encouraging so many, especially young women with whom I come into contact to take advantage of you because there are those of us who maybe are a little bit further down the, down the path. <laughs> We've had some experience and we really just want to, as you say, be of service and help. So on behalf of so many people I know who have already benefited, but those in the future, just thank you for committing your life's work to all of us and for being a part of our conversation today. It was just terrific. Thank you, Linda. And um, it's been so much fun. I, I can't wait to uh, continue listening to your podcast. And thank you for all of your life's work helping us, you know, improve our financial lives. We're all truly in it together. So thanks again and talk again soon, Farnoosh. Thank you. Bye-bye. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about the incredible lineup of women on our podcast and share your own money story. Until next time.